Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sounds from the Studio, brought to you by Contemporary Craft. Contemporary Craft fosters the use of traditional craft materials such as ceramic, fiber, glass, metal, and wood to make art. Our community honors the history and heritage of craft while showcasing modern, exploratory work. And since our organization is located in Pittsburgh, PA, we decided to bring some of the stories of our exhibiting and studio artists to a broader audience by way of this podcast. I'm Rachel, the Executive Director at Contemporary Craft. And I'm Camila, a podcaster and art enthusiast. We are your hosts for this journey, and there are many ways to keep up with us. You can go to the Facebook page and like it, Contemporary Craft, on Twitter at SCCPGH, Instagram at SCCPGH, or just go to ContemporaryCraft.org. And find us wherever you get your podcasts. We just ask that you please follow, rate, and review, and also share, share, share alike. This is an exciting episode for us. We're recording the day before we open Transformation 11 Works in Glass, which means we're also a day ahead of announcing the winner of the Raphael Prize. That means that by the time this episode airs, it will be public knowledge that our guest today, Lauren Kalman, is the winner of that prize. Before we dive into the discussion with Lauren, a few quick notes about the exhibition. The Transformation series was created to promote artistic excellence and encourage innovation in the contemporary craft field in 1997. It's a way to celebrate the 25th anniversary at that time and honor the legacy of our founder, Elizabeth Betty Raphael, Rockwell Raphael. This now triennial jewelry exhibition recognizes an artist with a $5,000 prize and also features the work of additional finalists. For each run of the show, we focus on a different material within the field of craft, the current being glass. Um, this show features 17 artists from four countries and showcases glass utilizing some of the most historic approaches and also features innovation and materials. I'm honored that today we'll be talking with Lauren, the Transformation 11 Prize winner. So, Lauren, it's great to have you on the podcast today. It's such a treat that we get to spend some time with you, given that our staff is fortunate enough to also eat lunch with you. For our listeners, maybe we can start by taking things back a little bit to the representative work that you submitted for consideration related to the Raphael Prize, which is devices for filling the void. Uh, I was ecstatic to see that work come in through the submissions because I had seen portions of that body of work a few years ago. And from what I understand, the objects literally fill the voids of the body, your body, I believe, but more importantly, they form supply of uh, philosophical um, filling of voids. So, since our listeners aren't seeing the work as we talk, can you tell them a little bit about what these devices look like and maybe share about the context of that original work? Cool. Sure thing. Thanks. Thanks for having me too. I'm excited uh, to be here and it's such an honor and I'm happy, happy to talk more about the work. Um, so I'll, I'll start off saying that my very early background was in jewelry and metalsmithing. So um, that's kind of my home base and what kind of got me into working with craft materials. Um, through, through metals, I came to uh, glass and fibers and ceramic um, so just a little bit of background there. So devices for filling a void um, are objects that they quite literally fill empty spaces in the body. Uh, I make molds of my body, um, my teeth, my palate, my nostrils, um, you know, under my armpit. Anywhere there's a, there's a crevice, I probably have a mold of it. Uh, and these objects, um, I use these molds um, to make objects that plug into, say, my nose or um, that fill my cheeks, 
um, that kind of hold the negative space um, under the arm. Uh, and there's sort of these uh, either uh, gold-plated uh, electroformed copper objects, so they look kind of like a combination of jewelry and maybe a reconstructive surgery device or maybe a kind of bodily amorphous growth, um, or they're ceramic, white ceramic objects that also have this sort of um, bodily rounded kind of uh, blobby uh, form. And uh, more recently, I've been doing these objects in glass. So uh, using uh, flame-worked uh, or silicate glass to make uh, objects that fill the negative spaces of the body. Uh, and the excited, exciting bit about the glass is that they're transparent. So you can actually see the, the body uh, through the glass. Like, you can look right into the mouth. <laughs> How did this come to be? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just woke up one morning and thought, this is what I should do. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> I, um... Uh, yeah, well, I'll add one more, more bit about that work, too, before I finish that. And that's, I also... Uh, so, I don't... I, not only use my body to make the objects, but I also then reactivate them through um, photographs uh, in devices for filling a void, but also in other work video. Um, so they get worn again once once uh, they're objects. So they're both objects and performative videos and uh, photographs. Um, so how did it? How did we get here? Um, I mean, so like I said, I started off making. Jewelry. If it was trained in jewelry, I thought I would be like sort of a studio jeweler making functional jewelry. And um, what happened is that my work transitioned from being things that were jewelry to being about adornment, wearability, and and then by extension functional objects. So it was instead of the 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 object or what the work was, it became what the work was about. And so that really freed me up to do these more experimental, performative kind of um, objects that are still really deeply rooted in craft, but um, but that that deal with ideas of the body, constructions of um, you know femininity, that that kind of thing. Um, I, I so so that my training was in, in jewelry and metalsmithing. Um, I also uh, have a really traditional training in foundry. Uh, I worked as an apprentice at uh, the Johnson Atelier Technical Institute of Sculpture, which was in Trenton, New Jersey. Um, and there, I, I was just learning the trade of, of, of foundry work, um, and so that was primarily large-scale figurative work. And so a lot of mold making, um, casting, which is a direct line into the mold making I do now. Uh, and then I went to graduate school for art and technology at Ohio State. And uh, there I learned digital vid- video, digital imaging. But while I was there, I was um, kind of rejecting my craft uh, lineage and, you know, sort of seeing it as this kind of, um, you know, in my early 20s, seeing it as this sort of... Uh, kind of conceptual hindrance. Like it was this baggage that I was carrying and I was too bound up in technique and I wasn't, it wasn't allowing me to, you know, it wasn't, a, you know, a, a conceptual exploration, which I totally don't think is the case now after some hindsight. But at that point I was really kind of shunning my craft 
uh, training, I was doing like these really performative gestures, like gold leafing my hands because the gold was like hindering my ability to think or something like that. Um, so they they were half baked knee jerk things, but um, what happened was like I was in grad school and I was like I need to document this because I need to get credit for this things I'm doing. <laughs> 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 right? I know this is what this is what. So what twenty-four-year-old brains are doing? <laughs> not not fully formed till they're twenty-five, I think. I think that's right. So, twenty-five, twenty-six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very reactional. Um, but uh, start taking photographs of these like gestures, performative gestures I was doing with gold leaf, and there just ended up being something there. And I started looking at these photographs and seeing the potential for combining craft with performance. And that just sort of like, then craft kind of came right back in as a central part of my work. Um, you know, as making objects that interacted in the, with the body in a way that kind of highlighted like the grotesque or undesirable aspects of the body, the places where, you know, fluids spill, um, you know, I'm always have been interested in the mouth, just really transgressive, part of the body it's where the inside and outside meet it's erotic it's where you know germs are spread it's how we sustain ourselves through food it's how we like assert power through language i mean this is really sort of like um fascinating sight um so i'm I'm combining that with objects that are made out of or gold or look like they're made out of gold um it's all gold-plated copper um, and so think about what happens when like this desirable object meets this sort of site of tension. There's like this site that might be threatening. Uh, I think about value. So that's kind of that's how I like started. And it really that that early work um, in graduate school it became like the seed and method for the rest of my career. A lot of the work uh, in this current body that we are showing, as well as the work that you're just discussing. Um, when you talk about the body, it's actually your body that you're talking about. So how comfortable are you with that level of intimacy with others in the gallery? Or how did you come to a place where you were okay putting yourself out there so fully? That's a great question. Yeah, no, that is a good question. And um, so, okay, so I'll, I'll start with it. Started, I started working with my own body out of like convenience. Like it was the thing I was that was there, and I was using it, and um, it was free. <laughs> and, and you know, as soon as I started making these photographs, like it became really, really evident that like the body that was in the images mattered. Like the body is not a neutral site. Um, it comes with all sorts of, uh, you know, baggage, identity, you know, like race, gender, perceived class, you know, like all of that stuff. Um, that it, so it, it then made sense for me to work with the body that I inhabit, that I know, that I can speak to, um, that, that of which the experience I can speak to. Right. Um, and that's, so that was part of it. It just, it became part of the content and the work. And I know my own body and my lived experience so well that, that, um, you know, I didn't feel like I could represent, um, another's body in the, in the, and, uh, and do, and ask it, ask another person's body to do what I ask of my own body. Um, and so also sort of ethically, like a lot of my work, um, including some of the recent work, 
but especially my previous work involved, um, you know, stitching gemstones into the body or, you know, piercing the body with acupuncture needles or even just doing like long durational kind of athletic poses that, that are quite uncomfortable. It didn't, um, it just, it didn't seem right to ask somebody else to do that, especially because my body, my work deals with body politics and, and, um, you know, sort of, uh, dynamics of, of power in terms of constructing ideals, like all of that. And so, so to ask somebody else to do that didn't feel right. So it made sense that I used my own body. And I think this sort of also follows a lineage of performance art, right? So like thinking about, um, uh, you know, durational performance and, uh, performance artists that sort of explore the boundaries of their body. So it, it kind of ties back into those lineages as well. Um, so, so it was a necessity for me to use my body. Um, I have occasionally worked with other performers, but, uh, but it, you know, never when, when I'm more than one person. Um, but really it has always come back to, to my own body. Um, and that said, I don't see my work as self portraiture. Um, you know, it's not like, I mean, the, what you see in my images of, you know, me shoving things in my mouth, my mouth and drooling. That's not how I live my life. <laughs> um, so it's not a self-portrait in that way. Uh, early on, you know, when I started doing these performative works, uh, I would, when I spoke about the work, refer to my body as the figure or the model. And, like, I, I just early on needed that very, like, um, uh, kind of, I needed to disassociate in a way. Um but that started to become problematic. You know, people would ask about, you know, in lectures, like, well, who's the model and how do you do do this to people? And I was like, well, it's me. Like, and so that, it just became now it's like, I am the performer. It is not a sort of like self-representation. I mean, of course, I'm using my body and I'm making the work. So in some way, it, you know, my myself is in there. But um, yeah, it just came over time. You know, I became more and more comfortable with um, with using my body, acknowledging that it is my body, um, and knowing that my work is different than me and and my life and how I carry myself in the world. Um, I mean, I certainly don't walk down the street exposing myself. Well, yeah, it's just in a sense, it's like as if like an actor taking on a, a role, and you know, we don't think that Anthony Hopkins is eating people, but, you know, at least I should hope, uh, but, uh, you know, Hannibal Lecter exists <laughs> bigger than life. So, yeah, I totally I get that as to how you have to, how you feel the need to disassociate yourself from that persona and also, you know, it's kind of a way of um, protecting yourself uh, from, yeah. you know, others' opinions as well as just kind of your own whatever uncomfortable that you feel from exposing yourself as such. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, I think, um, you know, I get this, I get questions like this a lot. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I mean, I think part of it comes with like age and experience. Like I just feel more comfortable in my own body, in my existence in the world, uh, that, you know, I can, I can let my work be my work and I can be me and, um, they, they can coexist. You had mentioned stitching gemstones into your body. Um, and I saw one of the images and I, and you know, and you also you know, mentioned acupuncture and I'm assuming one of those images is acupuncture. Is that what you meant? You were just talking about the acupuncture aspects of 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a body of work called Blooms, Efflorescence, and Other Dermatological Embellishments. And um, recru- um, I recreated really common sort of skin markings, what we might think of as, you know, blemishes, um, acne, um, shingles, you know, really sort of common, um, you know, bodily misbehaviors if you will um bodily misbehaviors wow i've never heard i like that i've I've never heard that yeah i I like thinking about like the body being impolite as well so not not conforming not conforming to our our polite constructions of 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 culture and society Um, the the body will always find a way to under undermine us right um so yeah so that work um used um, to attach the objects to the body um, they were set in the body using acupuncture needles or stitched into the body using you know gold thread or suture thread um, you know kind of thinking I was sort of thinking about that that sort of discomfort of those actions being like a parallel to the discomfort of um, kind of adorning the body or becoming the ideal um, like I like high heels are the example yeah. Like that, I like to use. Um, I find them excruciating. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And and it's, but but you know we go through that pain to transform the body into something aesthetic. Um, and so I, I, you know in that way that's that's how I think about some of the discomfort that happens in my work. It's about this sort of like Western dichotomy of like mind body or like mind you know being the superior over the body or controlling, trying to control the body. But like I said, the body always, you know, always somehow finds a, a way to like leak or <laughs> dribble or undermine that uh, control. Have you, has there been a point, an idea that you've had and you've just like, okay, this is not going to work. Like, you know, that you've pushed your body and yourself to the limit and you've just like, you know, that you have to, you've had to abandon whatever that idea was that, yeah, I mean, not to the like, not to the point of like, of like, kind of extreme pain or discomfort. I mean, that's not really my objective. You know, I'm not. Uh, but you know, I think rarely do things end up looking like I think they're going to look. You know, like you know, early on I would sort of sketch out the performative poses and like, you know, something wouldn't fit or it would just you know. But inevitably through that through like the photographic or video making process um something else happens and usually it's like the fifth or sixth or seventh iteration down the line that ends up being the most interesting where like i'm a little less inhibited i'm not trying to get get the goal of the the kind of initial idea i'm just playing and it gets weirder and that's <laughs> yeah where interesting stuff happens right so my mind is like definitely now because I'm thinking about the work that was selected that ultimately is what resulted in naming you as the Raphael Prize winner. And so, for again, people that are listening, um, Lauren, and I'm going to let you explain this because I'm not going to do good diligence, but essentially it's like cast body parts that are then blown glass vessels that rest on tables, like very elementary description and version of that, that we'll get from Lauren. But I want to kind of like dissect two parts of that because it's really interesting to me now hearing you talk to you about like the context and like the concept of that work and the human connection. And I think at some point I read within the description that there's um, 
know, pieces of that work that are also about like marriage and, and things. So like hearing all of this about like the individual body um, and self, and then thinking about that context and those, those vessels um, and having those images, you know, yourself only. Um, I'm just, I'm really even more compelled to, to hear about what is the context behind that work. And then definitely, um, want to talk about the process to get a much more educated version of like how those things were created for sure. people. Sure. Um, so, uh, so I'll start, maybe I'll start with a description of what they look like, um, which might be helpful in kind of explaining, um, what they're about. Uh, so the kind of primary component of the work are blown glass vessels that have imprints of the body in them through being held um, as if you were hugging something or carrying something or sitting something on your lap, right? So really common holding gestures um, and accompanied by photographs of the outfits being held. Uh, and so the title of the work, um, I'm kind of, I'm oscillate between two titles, the long one and the short one. Uh, the full title is to have or to hold, um, or I'm just shortening it occasionally to, to, to hold. Um, it'll, it'll land on a title maybe a year from now when I've like actually made up my mind. Um, but that comes from the, uh, from, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, Western traditional marriage vows to have or to hold until, until death do us part. Um, but I've left off, you know, the, the, uh, until death do us part, um, as, as something that's applied, this idea of loss. Um, and, uh, so I started, I started thinking about this, um, this work actually through some ceramic objects. I was making, um, and still am, uh, so this is an ongoing project, making uh, large-scale ceramic vessels, large for me, that is. They're about two feet tall, and um, I throw them and keep them wet, and then I pick them up and hold them. And uh, through picking them up and holding them, the vessel gets distorted, but it also gets imprinted with um, my body through, through like giving it a hug. Um, and, um, so what I was interested in with, with those objects is that one, there's all this care that goes into making this perfectly formed finished vessel, um, like time and labor and care. And then in a, in, in a really fleeting gesture, um, that is distorted. Um, and it's like sort of this, both this caring gesture, like this, like this idea of, of wanting to hold something so close and so tightly that you distort it, um, that you, that you, um, you know, or, or break it or, um, you know, kind of make it imperfect. And also that you're imprinting on it, on, you know, yourself on it. So like thinking about like, you know, relationships where, where you kind of, um, bend toward, towards each other, right? Like you, you, you change in some way through being in a relationship, but this, it's, you know, thinking about ideas of smothering, right? Like wanting something so badly, um, that you, that you kind of, uh, smother it or kill it or of mice and, oh, like of mice and men, like a Lenny. <laughs> so, so that's where, you know, that's, um, you know, I was doing these experiments during the pandemic and I can't say that it was like a one-to-one, -one. like I'm like, 
I'm sad. I'm thinking about the pandemic, but I think really it was just like a mental state, right? Like thinking about loss. I'd laid some of the groundwork for this in previous work where I was, you know, kind of thinking about how, um, you know, when I distort objects with my body, it leaves an indent, but this was a really direct kind of thinking about that. Um, and so I was working on that work as I was getting ready uh, to produce this, um, this glass work. And, um, you know, some things just really clicked, right? I was like, I want these to have a vessel format. So um, they're not just blobs. They are finished as like a base on the top. And so they reference the, like a domestic object, like a vase that you might see in your house. Um, you know, glass would be a material used for that. Um, and then um, the glass objects have a very similar distortion where they look like they've been held or hugged or they're sitting on a lap. Um, and um, you know, they become this sort of negative space, even more than the ceramic vessels because they're transparent. Like they reveal the absence in their transparency uh, and hold that space of emptiness. So, I mean, a, a little bit more about that process. Though. So you had talked earlier about how you started approaching materials more from the lens of metals and that you worked your way into glass and then these are cast. What did that look like for you? How did you, how did you actually form what became the best? Sure. Um, so, uh, the vessels, okay. so I would started, you know, doing some experiments in uh, the body of work devices for filling a void where I was using some of the castings or molds I made of my body um, to make plaster castings that I could, uh, particularly my teeth, um, that I could use to bite onto glass bubbles. Um, and so the imprint of the teeth was left in the glass. And then when I put them in my mouth, you know, for the photographs, you can see, you know, the teeth, the tongue, you know, it becomes kind of oculus to look in. Um, and so, you know, this is, um, you know, using a mold to blow glass into is a pretty common, um, you know, technique in the hot shop. One might use uh, carved wood or uh, bronze and you make a bubble in glass and you blow into it and it conforms to that interior hollow. Um, so I'm, I kind of inverted that in a way, um, I made positives of my body. So I cast, I had a full body mold made. Um, I worked with a foundry in Philadelphia called independent casting, um, uh, through, um, this is a connection I have from my foundry days, had, um, the, the founder of independent casting, Jeb Wood, uh, and I worked together. Um, and so... So I contacted them to help me make this full body mold <clears throat> because I could not do it myself um, and, you know, just necessitated help. Um, so we spent about three and a half, four days um, casting my body in segments. Um, so I have this sort of archive of body parts, straight legs, bent legs, arms, wrists, or arms, hands, head, um, a straight torso, a bent over torso that I could then kind of um, take those molds back to my studio and cast plasters that would sort of function like a puppet. Um, so a hand on a stick, an arm on a stick, um, you know, a torso that can be um, folded or unfolded um, 
you know, sitting or standing so that uh, I could take those to the hot shop. Um, and this work, I will say, was made at uh, the studio at the Corning Museum of Glass uh, through uh, the uh, inaugural Burke Residency, which was uh, in partnership with the Museum of Arts and Design, um, their Burke Prize uh, exhibition, award and exhibition. Um, and so I took these molds to Corning and um, we use them uh, as a proxy for my body, right? So, because I, I can't hug a glass uh, bubble, right, um, without severe burns. Uh, so we use the plaster to do that. And, and, and it was like manipulating a puppet. You know, so I would have a hand, someone else would have a hand, someone else would have the elbow, and someone would be holding the bubble. And we would together hug this, this glass bubble. That in itself is just, is an interesting thought to, like, it takes three people to hug kind of thing. Like, just, you know, just like you all working together to make this, to perform a hug. So, again, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm saying it properly, but yeah, it's, it's just an interesting yeah, visual. Yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And I think there's like a real nugget there. I don't know what is there yet. I don't know what that, right. but something about that process is really sort of fascinating. It's seductive. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's, it's there. There's something there. I just can't see it. It's so interesting. <laughs> um, we're actually showing some work right now in our satellite gallery by quilts. Well, she's, she's making quilts now. I shouldn't necessarily say she's a quilt artist. She works in a variety of media, one of them being photography. Um, but there's something very like voyeuristic about her work. It's Barbara Weisberger. And so she has these quilts at the moment where um, it looks like body parts. And like the further away that you are from them, or if you snap a photo of them without really investigating what you're looking at, it really, you look like you're, you're looking at body parts. And they're assembled just in such a deconstructive way. Um, but it's interesting to hear you say that because I think of those quilts and the, like the photographic imagery on them. Then I also think of like how amazing it would be to see the photographs in the hot shop of like people, you know, hugging these vessels right. and just like, also, yes, you know, some of the other work that we've talked about, like the, the erotic undertones or like the voyeuristic nature of like watching, like, just using these body parts as puppets to create these objects, um, that seems really interesting too. Like there's part of me that would love to see, like here we have, um, we have some photographs, we have some of the vessels on the table, but there's part of me that's like, wow, I would have loved to see like some of the cast body parts or some of the images as well as the process. But that's just because I'm such a process oriented person. Um, well, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. There's something really exciting about that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do think, I agree. You know, like, so this is all such brand new work for me. Um, you know, I, while I have it, you know, I, I work in a plain working studio. I have, you know, a fair bit of casting experience. <clears throat> the hot shop is not my domain at, by any stretch of the word. Um, and um, so I, I, um, yeah, it was all new. It was all a kind of a leap of faith. You know, you know, I, I had told um, the studio at Corning, like, okay, I'm bringing these plaster castings. Do you, do you think this is going to work? And they're like, yeah, sure. Sure. So, yeah. so, so we were kind of, you know, like, like building the plane as we were flying it. And I think so, I mean, it was wonderful. I mean, this, 
it's a really important thing, I think, especially for an artist kind of moving into like a, the, into the third decade of making, yeah. right? Like, to be uncomfortable and vulnerable and unsure. And I think, you know, you learn a lot in those spaces. And so, you know, I think exploring the process, you know, and how to do it without being like a gee whiz, like tutorial, mm. um, you know, but also thinking about the potential in making tools, like the plasters are impermanent, but, you know, uh, bronze tools are a really common, you know, uh, tool, you know, material to make uh, for glass tools. And so like thinking about maybe I make some more permanent tools that become, um, you know, part of a display or installation, um, you know, without revealing every step of the, of the process, you know, giving these little hints and insights, but this is all kind of speculative at this point, but, but things I'm looking forward to exploring kind of, you know, as I move forward, because uh, this work is really brand, brand new. Um, this is all, you know, all, um, from body m- making the molds to installing this week, um, you know, we're looking at from March to early September. So it's real fresh. Nice. Well, when did you accept that you were an artist? Oh, um, I mean, I think I wanted to be an artist since I was, um, you know, probably around middle school age. Both of my parents were in the commercial arts. Um, my mother was a commercial photographer and my father uh, is now retired as an industrial designer. Um, so more on the practical side of things, uh, but, you know, so I, I, you know, I grew up in a household that kind of valued uh, the arts. Um, you know, they both fell in, into it. Um, you know, my, my mom um, went to an arts high school. She didn't do particularly well in, in, in um, you know, like the writing and the maths. Um, and she, you know, that's this, you know, how, how she happened. And, and, and my dad sort of fell into it as well. And, um, I think in some ways it was just always like a practical, like, Oh, you can make, you can make a living doing this. It wasn't, uh, but you know, they were very focused on, um, you know, commercial arts and, and design. And I think when I decided to go to art school, they had maybe hoped I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> they knew how hard a field in, in the arts was. And then when I became a fine artist, I think I think they were just completely at a loss. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think I think uh, a little bit of perseverance and uh, helped help me outlast <laughs> outlast expectations. Maybe. Do you recall your first exhibition? Oh boy! Oh, um, my first exhibition period, like had to have been in like high school or something like that. Um, maybe a Scholastics award show or something. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do recall one in particular. Um, uh, my dad's boss's son was uh, also um, in the Scholastics show, and I was. I, I beat him out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a kind of standard question for me uh, in this series that I like to ask, I think it's relative to the craft field, um, is have you had mentors in the field? And if so, who are they and why do you consider them as, as a mentor? 
Yeah. I mean, I think mentor, well, I think about it in different ways. Like I've had, um, you know, of course, a series of really amazing teachers along the way, um, you know, that while I haven't had maybe close personal relationships, have been really fundamental in um, shaping my career. I've also worked really closely with some of these people. So there's like a big um, sort of spectrum of people that have impacted my career. Uh, like, you know, I think the folks, especially that I trained with in um, undergrad, uh, Joe Wood, Deb Todd Wheeler, uh, and, and Metals were really um, instrumental for me. Uh, George Greenemeyer at, at MassArt, who was my um, founder instructor, um, you know, who really pushed me to, to apply to the apprenticeship at the Atelier and also was like, incredibly patient in listening to undergraduate problems. Um, you know, like basically a thing. <laughs> I don't know how to call it. Um, and you know, on through to, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing like really key important people. So I don't, I don't mean to to leave uh, folks out. But you know, the folks I w- worked with at the Foundry, which is a really a traditional apprenticeship model, where you know you would work beside somebody who's much more skilled than you. Like all of those uh, people and their generosity of with their skills and time and, and patience. Patience was, you know, really instrumental. Um, and I think in, in on through to my first teaching job, um, I taught at a tiny art school in Nashville called Watkins College. And, and uh, you know, my boss, Terry Thacker, kind of not only hiring me as a, like, really emerging artist and academic, but also like mentoring me through that process of how, how does one enter the professional field, um, you know, to the, you know, to the point, like, you know, like the elbow in the side, like say this now. <laughs> <laughs> kind of things. I mean, I've had, yeah, I mean, I've had these really fantastic, um, people and my parents, of course, who, who, um, who, you know, supported my practice, even when they really totally did not. <laughs> um, I mean, and then that's the, the beauty of, and that's just kind of you know what most parents jobs should be it's just like you know what yeah, I, I don't right? I don't get it but I know you can do it like I, I'm here for it yeah you know I think I think really like we we so often think about pra- like studio practices and, and particularly the way we talk about like art practices as being and, and art stars like mm-hmm. you know it's a singular person doing this thing but you know that's not what I've found to be the case you know I have had help all along the way you know from people like hoisting me up on ropes you know yeah. friends and family like sticking needles in my back to you, you know um, you know my partner helps you know print my photos now on through like to the studio assistants that I occasionally hire to, to make my work, help me make my work, you know, like, um, there are things, things you just can't do alone. Um, you know, on through to working with institutions like contemporary craft, like there are like, in order to make artwork happen and shows happen, there's like an army of people, um, making this profession function, you know, you know, from directors to, um, you know, development folks to educational outreach, you know, 
social media, like all of that, like it, it, art handlers, uh, it, it's it's a, a massive team of people that makes art happen. Yeah, and I think that's a, there's a lot of people who either don't know that, don't realize that, or just forget it completely. And um, and I know from as from being one of those people, one of those foot soldiers myself, like they all appreciate you for shouting them out and, and, and explaining that and expressing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think, um, you know, I, it just happened to be that my my practice ended up being really forward facing, um, but I could have very easily and happily been on a track where I made other people's work. I mean, I liked I liked technical work. I liked working in a foundry and you know grinding tiny detail <laughs> into a sculpture. And so I, I don't see that. I don't I don't see it as a value hierarchy really in that way. Like we are all need each other to do what we do. Museums need artists. Artists right. need museums. <laughs> da, 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 da. You know, you can't have a curator if you don't have artists. Absolutely. Right. So right. <laughs> and and so I think. Um, yeah, I think it's all super important. And I, you know, I know a lot of folks who love their jobs, um, doing preparator work or, you know, you know, printing for hire, you know, that, that is a really fulfilling part of the practice. Yeah, it can all be very rewarding in its own right. And I, you know, like I was saying, like my career for years had been to kind of help other artists see and like you know put their get their visions out there and whatnot and so yeah and i think it should be acknowledged like i do think it's important you know i think it's important to acknowledge that that this is a team yeah this is a team right here <laughs> <laughs> well of all of your artwork that you have accomplished or created or whatnot do you have any that stand out as the most rewarding for you oh man yeah that's that's tricky because it, it changes over the years. I mean, I'm oh, always most I think, geeked about what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Okay. So right now at 2.52 PM at September 8th, 2022, yeah. what is your most? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm pretty jazzed about the, the new glass work um, mm-hmm. that's up at uh, Contemporary Craft. It's, it's, um, it was really fun to make, yeah. you know, and like after, you know, when, when art becomes your job, it's not always fun. Right. And, and I had, I, it was, I mean, I felt incredibly vulnerable, but also really well supported. Like I, I totally trust all the people I worked with and it ended up being just really fun to, to let go of, like let go of control and trust other people and like be silly sometimes. And yeah, and that's what I'm pretty geeked about. So I'm, I'm excited to kind of see where that goes moving forward. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So. Rachel, unless you have any, 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 no, any other follow-ups. Okay. So, all right. Ra- awesome. So, and then um, Rachel did mention that you were a little bit nervous about this question. And this is, uh, this is the funsy question that we ask. <laughs> Supposed to be, you know, you don't have to take it so seriously, Lauren. Uh, so we just ask all of our artist guests, you know, what, if you had three songs to describe your work, what would they be? Oh man, yeah. I so I have been asked this question before. <laughs> really? Like this is not the first time. I'm like, so is this like a thing? So you should have a playlist already, then. I, don't I know. I don't understand why. It's... <laughs> I, I like <laughs> my way out of it. Um, 
So, all right. Well, like, so my first like go-to thought is like all things gold and, and shiny. So, um, you know, I think, uh, is it all that, uh, all that glitters by Latigra would be maybe one. Okay. And I was thinking like material girl by Madonna, like it's kind of like, classic, yeah, right? <laughs> like heels and capitalism and consumerism and shiny. That and works. Then I, I, shiny. I don't know. I, I, but I pooped out on the third one. I just don't know. What? I don't. I don't have a third. <laughs> oh, I, I will go ahead and just. I will suggest uh, Beyonce get me bodied. How about that? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we just really like um, infuse the playlist because we collect these all. So it's like a growing <gasps> playlist of everyone. Yes. Now we're covering everything from the classical exactly. to the heats. Uh, you know, Jim, we got it all. I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, (laughs) you know, listeners, make sure that you check out the sounds from the studio uh, musical Spotify playlist because it'll be, uh, it'll be the the right thing to do for your next gathering. (laughs) So, So Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time out and talking with us. Um, Now is the time for you to shout out anything that you would like to, any upcoming works that you have or exhibits you have coming up where people can find you online blah 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 spotlight is yours yeah awesome oh, well first of all super thank you it was like delightful to talk with you both um uh so th- thanks very much for having me um let's see what's up oh, so um you know i do have a, a, like a, a traditional website um which is laurencalman.com um i'm also Primarily on Instagram, um, at Lauren Kalman, all one word, um, where I'm mod- moderately good at um, posting updates and, and shots of new studio work. Um, ooh, what's coming up next? Um, let's see, I have a, have a solo show coming up at uh, Rochester Institute of Technology. That will be in October. Um, which will be fun, some devices for filling a void work and, and probably also some some new tap old work will be up. Um, yeah, and I think I think actually beyond that, I'm just gonna be in the studio, um, kinda cranking cranking on some new work. So keep a, a look out for that in twenty twenty three. Right on. <laughs>